This evening for our scripture reading, let's turn to Job chapter 19. Job chapter 19. Then Job answered and said, How long will ye vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? These ten times have ye reproached me. Ye are not ashamed that ye make yourselves strange to me. And be it indeed that I have erred, mine error remaineth with myself. If indeed ye will magnify yourselves against me and plead against me my reproach, know now that God hath overthrown me and hath compassed me with his net. Behold, I cry out of wrong, but I am not heard. I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. He hath fenced up my way that I cannot pass, and he hath set darkness in my paths. He hath stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He hath destroyed me on every side, and I am gone, and mine hope hath he removed like a tree. He hath also kindled his wrath against me, and he counteth me unto him as one of his enemies. His troops come together and raise up their way against me and encamp round about my tabernacle. He hath put my brethren far from me, and mine acquaintance are verily estranged from me. My kinsfolk have failed, and my familiar friends have forgotten me. They that dwell in mine house and my maids count me for a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I called my servant, and he gave me no answer. I entreated him with my mouth. My breath is strange to my wife, though I entreated for the children's sake of mine own body. Yea, young children despised me. I arose, and they spake against me. All my inward friends abhorred me, and they whom I loved are turned against me. My bone cleaveth to my skin and to my flesh, and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. Have pity upon me, have pity upon me, O ye my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. Why do ye persecute me as God, and are not satisfied with my flesh? O oh, that my words were now written, O oh, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. But ye should say, Why persecute we him, seeing the root of the matter is found in me? Be ye afraid of the sword, for wrath bringeth the punishments of the sword, that ye may know there is a judgment. Tonight we're going to consider the rather well-known words of 25 through 27 
For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. There are a number of ways, beloved people of God, that we can look at the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ on this day. One is by looking at the historical event. Another is by examining what that day was for our Lord Jesus Himself many times in Scripture. Scripture emphasizes the glory that became Christ's when He ascended into heaven. Emphasizes the glory of His victory over sin and death and the extent of that victory. Another is that we can look at the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ from the perspective of ourselves and the benefit that affords us especially now in our life. That's the perspective that we considered recently in the Heidelberg Catechism. We really considered both, but if you recall, the Heidelberg Catechism, when it got to the Ascension, simply asked what the benefit of the Ascension meant for us. And briefly, when talking about what the Ascension was, said that, Jesus had ascended into heaven, and from there He pours out heavenly graces upon us. And then, when giving that benefit more specifically, mentions that the benefit is in the first place that Jesus is in heaven as our advocate, and in the second, He is in heaven as our head. So, that we can be certain that we are being united to Him, we shall be with Him and He shall return. And thirdly, uh, it mentions the fact that from heaven He gives us His Spirit. And with that Spirit comes untold number of blessings and benefits. Well, this evening we're going to focus especially on one of those. And we're going to do so in connection with this text, which even though it doesn't mention the ascension, and perhaps we see the reference to the resurrection, nevertheless applies. Because although we typically focus on the fact that Jesus lives, so that I know that my Redeemer lives, would apply very much to the resurrection of Jesus. The fact is, He continues to live, and He lives in heaven as the Ascended One. And therefore, the text is very much applicable. And the specific benefit that the text applies to us of the Ascension is the benefit of hope. Hope. Hope for the future. Hope with regard to our Lord Jesus Christ who lives. Because He lives, 
Job had hope. And because he lives, we have hope. To be even more specific, the text emphasizes the strength or power of hope, even the indestructible character of hope in the living Jesus. Job confessed that though there were worms that would destroy his body, and though presently his reins were being consumed, he nevertheless still had hope. It was impervious to those corruptive powers that were operating in and through him at that moment. Hope was the indispensable power by which Job had patiently endured all of the afflictions, including those that he mentions in the immediate context, those afflictions that we often don't think about. We think about the afflictions Job endured having lost ten children, and the afflictions that he endured from being covered head to toe with boils. But as Job expresses in the passage, even more painful was what had happened to all the relationships in his life so that he was alienated and estranged from even the maids in his house. This passage is given for our instruction. In the same passage, Job Job expresses, oh, that his words would be written down in a book, engraved even in a stone. And they were. They were. God saw fit to record all the words of Job and put them in a book, in an indelible book, a book that itself is indestructible, so that we tonight have these words in our own hands and in our own ears. And they're there so that we also might have that same indestructible power of hope and recognize that as an even more powerful form of hope now that Jesus is ascended. Consider with me the indestructible power of hope. Hope Beloved people of God is a power, an almighty power, what I call an indestructible power. It's the indestructible power of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the gifts and the blessings and the powers of the Holy Spirit that are poured out upon the church by the living and ascended Jesus Christ. And by that wonderful, amazing, indestructible power, the children of God are enabled to bear patiently and to live under the burden of all their afflictions and all of their sorrows and all of their miseries in this life. It's a power that works over against other powers 
and sustains and keeps and preserves the child of God. We often talk about the great work of the ascended Christ. In fact, we did that with regard to Jesus being seated at God's right hand and the church that Jesus continues to gather, defend, and preserve the church. If you ask especially, how does he defend the church? And how especially does he preserve the church? Part of the answer is by imparting to his church this indestructible power we call hope. Hope is the anticipation and expectation of good, even great good, sometime in the future. It is especially the anticipation or expectation of the great hope of deliverance. Hope implies there's some present misery, some present trouble. And hope expects and anticipates to be delivered out of that affliction and out of that trouble. It's the power thereby to expect that, anticipate that, and await that great deliverance in the future. By that, one is sustained in the very misery and trouble that one expects deliverance from. Job is speaking about hope here, even though he does not use the word. He uses the word earlier and even says that in a real sense his hope was removed from him like a tree. But in the passage that he's talking about, hope is clear when he contrasts what he expects in the future with what's going on presently in his life. Presently in his life, his reins, his bowels, his heart and his soul are in trouble. They are even, he says, being consumed, eaten away within him. He connects that also to what he knows will also happen soon when he dies. That when he dies, which could be very soon given his illness, he expects that worms will eat away at his body. In contrast to that misery and that trouble now, Job expects great good. He expects that he shall see something. He shall know something. He shall experience something. And in such a way that all his other afflictions and troubles are eliminated, are gone. He is delivered from them. Now it's important to see what Job's hope is not, especially with regard to his present suffering and troubles. Job's hope was not that perhaps even though he suffered, and he suffered greatly, that his suffering could be worse. Oftentimes that's the hope perhaps that we bring to people or the comfort that we bring to someone. Someone has lost their job and we might tell them 
Well, it could be worse. You could be incapacitated never to work again. Oh, you're sick. Well, it could be worse. You could have a worse sickness, perhaps a terminal sickness. Or it could be worse. You could be dead. Not only is that a miserable form of comfort, it is no comfort at all. And that was the case with Job 2. In fact, that's Job actually wished he was dead. He expresses it many times. He wished he were dead. So bad were his present afflictions. Job's hope also wasn't, well, I'll get better soon. Maybe, maybe this disease will go away. Maybe, maybe my friends will take some kindness and pity on me and, and return. Maybe, maybe God will restore my family and, and restore my home. Now, much of that happened, didn't it? God indeed did give Job more children. The children that he lost were replaced. God gave him even more riches, even more friends. God greatly, greatly blessed Job. But that's not his, his hope. And we need to remember that that also is not our, our hope either. And really is a miserable form of hope when we, we bring it. We perhaps mean well. Well, you'll soon get over that sickness or you'll soon get past your morning. There'll be another day, a, a brighter day is ahead. But again, it didn't really fit for Job, he had no idea. He had no expectation that certainly he would be delivered from his sickness. He expected to die, rather, from his sickness. He had no idea what God had in store for him, and, and neither do we. And the reason that those are such miserable hopes is because of the great maybe that's in there. That even even if perhaps, based on probability and, and, and expectation and all we know about science and all we know about disease, perhaps it, it is a pretty good expectation that someone will get better soon. But as we all know, God, God has His ways. God has His ways where we, we have a disease that's quite common. Many, many recover from it. It's, it's not that bad, but someone will die. There's always the unexpected, and there's no hope in that. No certain hope, no indestructible hope for sure. What Job's hope was in that he would be delivered and he would enjoy an unquenchable joy in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the coming of Christ his Redeemer. That was his hope. His hope was that this Redeemer, this Redeemer who lives, shall stand, shall stand on the earth at the latter day, and even though, even though there's all these afflictions, I shall see him. And I shall see him in my flesh. 
I shall see him for myself. Mine eyes shall behold him. That was his hope. You can break all that down. And certainly you realize there was hope, first of all, with regard to Jesus himself, that his hope involved the fact that Jesus certainly lived and would return and stand on the stand on the earth again. But his hope also was in the resurrection of his own body. He expects to see God in his own flesh, in his own flesh, even though worms would destroy it. He would see him with his own eyes. Those old eyes would turn to dust. He believed that when Christ returned, that no matter what happened to him, even if that sickness would kill him or he would live with that sickness to the end of his life, to a ripe old age and then die, nevertheless, he would be raised up. And that when Jesus would come, Jesus would raise him up. Not just his body, but would raise him. Him who was dead from the grave. Not only that, but he believes that he will live. He doesn't believe simply in a momentary spotting of this Jesus upon the earth. A momentary glimpse and then he's gone. But the idea is he shall live with him. Mine eyes shall behold in such a way that they shall never behold another. I shall behold him and never again shall he be away from my sight. Even as he shall stand upon the earth and continue to stand upon the earth, I shall have everlasting life with him. And let's not forget that's the idea of seeing God and being in the presence of God. What Job is communicating here as his hope is that he sees this as the greatest possible good that there is. The greatest possible outcome for all of his troubles and all of his afflictions. You see, we we can have hope in all sorts of substitutes and all sorts of things that, while they may be good for a time, but they do not compare to this. Because what he's talking about is everlasting fellowship with Jesus, His Redeemer, forever and ever, body and soul. He's talking about the glory and the bliss and the wonder and the joy, that which exceeds everything possible. He's talking about the fulfillment of the covenant. The covenant of friendship and fellowship with God. And he's saying there will be a day that that is perfected. When it is perfected after I die, when it is perfected in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, then I I shall live with Him. I shall reign with Him. I shall see Him. I shall bask in His glory. I shall have fellowship with Him forever and ever and ever. That was His hope. That was the greatest good that He could think of, that He could conceive of. Now, what the passage emphasizes is the indestructible power of that hope. 
And that over against all kinds of other hopes. This is a hope that sustained Job in all of the afflictions and troubles of his life. What we have to understand is the powers that were lined up against Job. There were mighty, mighty powers at work trying to destroy him, corrupting him. And that's what he's mentioning even in the passage when he says his reins are being consumed within him. He says there's a power. There's a power at work in my soul. It's just not that there's a power at work in my body bringing these terrible, painful boils that make my life so miserable I want to die, but there's something at work at my soul. There's some power there consuming so that my soul, my inwards don't work the way they're supposed to work. It's destroying me. I'm being destroyed from the outside and from the inside. Those powers had already taken away his ten children. Those powers had taken away all of his property. Those powers had taken away the relationship he had with his wife. Those powers were working through his wife so that rather than comfort him, she tempted him with the proposition that it would be better to curse God and then to die. He notes in the passage how his own breath is estranged from his wife. She didn't want to see him. She didn't want to talk to him face to face. His own wife. Those powers were at work tempting him, telling him, Job, give up. Job, die. Job, curse God. Job, hate God. Job, become bitter. Job, just pack it all in. And those powers were at work through his friends. Not only were those powers at work from the fact that he had no friends other than those three supposed friends, the people of his village to whom he had been so kind and so good, had been so helpful, had been a father figure and a leader, all the people he had employed and helped, no one came to see him. Imagine the power of that. Imagine the power of that in Job's mind and in his soul. And then the three friends. Job, this is all your fault. You sinner. You have sinned against God, the righteous one. And God is doing all this because you are unrighteous before Him. You are guilty before Him of something. Confess, Job. Tell God what you have done. God is against you. God hates you as a sinner. Think of all those powers, all the powers arrayed against him, and what would be needed to sustain him. That's the point of the passage. Well, he had one. It was that hope. Against all those forces and against all those powers, even the power of Satan himself stood hope. And by the power of that hope, Job patiently endured all of that. By the power of that hope, he endured all the corruptive power of bitterness 
and anger, the corruptive power of despair and anxiety, the corruptive power of hatred. Think of all those powers. But he endured them. He endured them patiently. He endured those things without cursing God. Even when he acknowledged that God had done this, he does so righteously and rightly before God, apart from asking why. You ask, how is it possible? The answer is hope. That hope. By that hope, by the power of that hope, Job not only resisted those powers to curse God and die, to become angry and bitter with his friends, to become angry and bitter with God. Instead, he rather loves God. His speech here is the speech of love. He doesn't see God as some cold, abstract power, just another force that's against him. No, he sees God as the one who lives and the one he wants to live with. The prospect of living with God is his hope. And underneath that, you understand, is love. A love for God that's still burning brightly in his soul, though God has done this. And you say, how? Why? And the answer is that hope. The power of that hope. He remains confident. In God, in God as His Redeemer, as God, the one whom He loves. We even need to look at the confidence that although worms destroy my body, yet I shall see Him. Do you understand what He's expressing there? What He's expressing there is the opposite of what all men know to be true in the depths of their being. They ignore it. They resist it wrongly. They justify it. But it's this. They're sinners guilty before God who are worthy of everlasting damnation. Job. Job understands what death is. He understands what it represents. He understands what those worms consuming his body are all about. He knows the words of God way back then. The day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. And yet he confesses, though that happen, I shall see him. I shall live with him. I shall reign with him. That's Job's hope. Job's hope is therefore certainly that his present afflictions will be over. They will be over at some time. But it's not that they'll be over real soon. Or that his afflictions could be worse. His hope is no matter what they are, no matter how long they are, no matter what they lead to, I shall see my Redeemer. I shall see Him. I shall see Him face to face. Though even hell itself is against me. Even though hell itself has a claim on me. Even though hell itself has a claim on me because indeed I am a sinner. 
I shall see him face to face. Now, you might say, where does hope get that power? What, what is the power of that hope? And again, the text speaks about that. Job expresses that when he begins with these words, I know. If your hope is in anything other than what it was the hope of Job, then your hope is not the hope of this text in that it will be uncertain. If there's one thing that life teaches us, if there's one thing that we ought to learn in life, is that nothing in life is certain. And it's not certain exactly because of these powers of these powers, especially of sin and of death and all the various forms they take, it doesn't matter how we chart our course of life. It doesn't matter what we think is going to happen tomorrow. It is uncertain. And therefore, if your hope is in that, if your hope is in a better tomorrow, if your hope is in even that tomorrow will be the same as today, and today isn't all that bad, then there's no certainty. There's, you can't say what Job says. I know. That is, I'm certain. Now what's he talking about there? What's going on there? And the answer is, he's speaking there about the certainty or the knowledge of faith. The knowing there is the knowledge of faith. It's what he knows that is what he believes. And what now does he believe? What is it that he's so certain about? My Redeemer liveth. That's it. My Redeemer liveth. Now, certainly, certainly there's a lot there. Such a simple confession, but think of how packed it is with certainty. He is certain, first of all, that His Redeemer is God. When He says later on, I shall see Him, He's referring to God. I shall see God. God is His Redeemer. And the one who lives, therefore, is God His Redeemer. He understands that this Redeemer, this Redeemer who is God, this Redeemer who is God, that is a Spirit, is coming to stand on the earth. Think about that. Think about this Old Testament saint and his understanding of the Incarnation. He sees this. He knows this. He knows there is a Redeemer coming. A Redeemer who is God, who lives with God, who lives as God, who is God in every form and way. Because only God can do the things that need to be done, and yet He's going to stand that God is a Him. He lives as a Him, as a person. He lives as a personal being. A God who thinks and wills and acts. That's how he can speak about God the way he does throughout here. And that he lives. Now we don't know all that Job really understand. He lived in the day of types and, and shadows. But the fact that he refers to him as my Redeemer indicates he has a sense that he needs to be redeemed. And redeemed from what? And the answer is redeemed from his sin. Redeemed from all that corrupts him. Redeemed from all those things that have brought all this misery upon him. 
The sin of mankind, the sin that's in the world, death, that's loose. If one is going to see Him, if one is going to live with Him, then He must be redeemed. And He believes that He has a Redeemer. I have a Redeemer. I have someone who will come, who will give His life for mine, who will pay the price that I can't pay, who will give to God what needs to be given to satisfy Him for what I've done. That's what he's certain about. We should be able to be that certain tonight. We should be able to say, not because we simply do this on a Thursday, on a certain, certain number of days, after Jesus died and was raised. No. We should be able to say, He lives. I know He lives. My Redeemer lives. That's what I may confess on this day. This is what I know to be true. And you see how it just encompasses it all? It encompasses the cross. It encompasses the resurrection. It encompasses His ascension. It is seating at God's right hand. And then His return. I know that that Redeemer lives. He lives now. That's the amazing... He lives now, Job says. He's at work now. He's existing now. But, but then He's coming. He's coming. The certainty of Job's hope was also in who God was. Especially the righteousness or the justice of God. Job also had a sense of that. It's maybe not expressed so forcefully in this particular passage, but it's expressed pretty forcefully in the book. That Job, on the one hand, understood himself to be a sinner. That he knew he was a sinner, and yet that he was righteous, and righteous exactly because he had a Redeemer. And that Redeemer had satisfied the righteousness of God but he hadn't seen this yet. He didn't see. Jesus had not yet come. Jesus had not yet ascended as our head. Nevertheless, he believed it, and he believed that the righteousness of God being satisfied, that God would make this happen. There's a lot of things that we can ground in God that lend to the certainty of our hope. One is the fact that God is the living God. God is the eternal God. God is the God who is faithful. He is faithful to His promises, but don't ever forget the righteousness of God too. What we need to remember, because it belongs exactly to the certainty of our hope, that God having redeemed us, that God having paid the price, God having satisfied for our sins in our Lord Jesus Christ, He must, He must deal with us as righteous. That's the idea even of the ascension and resurrection. Jesus' work was finished. He had paid the price. 
And God, therefore, now, being the very righteous God He is, the very righteous God who punishes sin, who pours out His wrath, God must raise Him from the dead and takes Him to heaven. And that's the same way the child of God looks at it. Never mind who I am and who I am by nature and what I've done or my present condition or even even when I look out and I see what God has done and I, and I see in that the wrath of God. It's what Job is really referring to when he, he talks about the fact that God is angry with him. God is filled with wrath. God is judging. He, he senses that. It's not in the same way that his friends were speaking about. What Job is referring to is that in these judgments, that, that which plays a great role in disturbing us, that which can actually turn into a power that's against us if we don't have hope, is that this is the expressions of a righteous God against sin and death. It's God not letting us forget what it is. But if that's true, then that means if our Redeemer lives, then when He comes in the latter day, we may be absolutely certain, as Job did, exactly because God is a righteous God, that we shall see Him face to face. This, beloved people of God, still explains our hope And the hope with which we celebrate the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ today. We experience the same kind of afflictions. The same things. Same kind of diseases and troubles. It's remarkable how often when we have such troubles and afflictions, how friends depart us also. How some may even look at us and say, well, you have that coming. You're a terrible sinner. Confess your sin to God. That's the explanation for the situation you're in. In those afflictions, the child of God who knows God sent them. The Lord gave and the Lord took away. The child of God certainly needs to remember that these are evil forces. Evil forces on the direction of Satan But he also may never forget, yes, God has laid his hand on me. It's God who drove away my spouse. It's God. It's God that allowed this death or that death. It's God whose hand is in this. And the child of God needs hope. Only hope will sustain. Only hope will preserve. Only hope can be that indestructible power by which we bear up under those burdens and those powers and resist them. And hope in the same Redeemer. The exact same One. God Himself. Think of that simple confession next time you're in distress or trouble. It's a pretty simple one, but look at the power of it. I know. In fact, the idea almost is There's a lot I don't know. There's a lot about which I'm uncertain and I'm filled with doubt. In fact, I may even have doubts about a lot of theological things. I don't know. But I know one thing. One thing I know. One thing I know above all else. And that is my Redeemer 
liveth. I know he lives because he's God. I know he lives because he was raised again the third day, having given his own life for mine. I know God raised him. I know God raised him being a righteous God. And I know he's coming again. I know he's coming again and he shall stand upon the earth in the latter day. That he's coming down from heaven the same way he left. With the clouds. When we read that on the ascension, don't we immediately think of that? He left us. He ascended into heaven. But did He not say, I'm coming again? I'm returning? The same Jesus? The same Jesus that stood upon the earth before and returning? In fact, if you look at it, not only is this the same hope that sustains us and the only hope that sustains us, only this hope has that indestructible character. Everything else will be disappointing at one point or another. But think of how much stronger even our hope should be. Even as the strength and the greatness of the Spirit when poured out upon Pentecost was a mighty greater pouring as it were. That should be the case with our hope. Job, Job never saw what we got to see. For Job, this was all in the future. Christ hadn't come yet, even to stand upon the earth once. We've seen Him already stand upon the earth. We've seen what Job confesses actually fulfilled. He has come. He's come in the incarnation. He stood on the earth. He walked on the earth. He lived in the earth. We've seen it. And now He's ascended. How much more certain are we that He shall return to stand upon the earth? Well then, how much more certain? How much stronger should be the power of our hope amidst our troubles. Beside that, beside that, there's not one of us that suffered like Job suffered. God sustained him with that simple confession of a simple Old Testament saint. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he suffered like no one suffered. And therefore, the Bible sets forth the patience of Job as greater than all men. The great patience of Job. And you say, what was that? Well, it was his hope. But how much greater ours? With far lesser burdens. Oh, we don't minimize those. They're still burdens. They're still powers. But how much more should that simple confession sustain us? I know that my Redeemer liveth. That Redeemer, beloved, is ascended. Ascended above all of this earth. Ascended above every power of this earth. All the powers in heaven above and earth beneath. Even the powers of death and hell have been given to Him. Oh, He lives. He lives. And He's coming again. And He shall stand upon this very earth that we stand upon. And we're going to see Him face to face. Come see Him face to face, even though worms destroy our body, even though our soul is consumed. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, O Lord our God, we are thankful that we may confess together, I know, I know that my Redeemer liveth. We give Thee thanks, for we know this is the great gift of the Spirit we have been given. Faith, hope, and love. The certainty of 
faith, we pray, may be the great power of hope within us so that we are sustained in our love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Sustained in that love over against every other power that would destroy and quench that love for Thee, our God. Cause it to grow. Give us, therefore, O Lord, the great power to endure and to sustain the troubles and afflictions of our life through our ascended Lord and Savior. Amen.